0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father, your word is truth, and we want to know you truly as you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, work by your spirit now, uh, that spirit we were reminded of in the together time, that we may know you and love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just got too consumed by what was going on in the Bible reading, I forgot i meant to get up and preach. Uh, We depend on promises uh, to do life, don't we? And other people depend on ours. Uh, There are all sorts of examples, I'm sure you can think of, uh, big and small. Uh, There's the promise that the other person will turn up on time when they offer to pick you up and go somewhere, as in fact some do even today for church. There's the promise you'll pay the plumber when they've finished the job that they're working on at your house. There's the promise married couples make to stick with each other through thick and thin. There's even the promise of punishment, say with parents when their kids are told not to do something the parents don't want them to do, or with any of us and the government, say they say don't use your mobile phone while you drive. Subtle safety message there as we go. And we build up a picture of the people uh, in our lives through the promises they make and how reliable they are at keeping them, just as others build up a picture of you and me. (coughs) And as this whole dynamic's unfolding, what are some of the challenges that we face uh, that you've had with other people's promises? Have you had times where you thought they weren't serious and then have been surprised that they followed through? Uh, Have there been times where you doubted whether they had the capacity to to deliver and sadly been proved right? Uh, Or have you received a promise and for one reason or other forgotten the promise and its importance to you? We depend on promises and other people depend on our promises. But it's not limited, this whole thing with promises, to just between you and me. It's at the core of our relationship with God, of living as disciples of Jesus now. Because in so many ways, God relates to us through promises. And the shape of his promises and his faithfulness to keep his promises makes all the difference to us and how we respond to his promises. When God promises to us, we can look forward to a new heaven and a new earth with no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And we're still living in the midst of those things. We need to make a decision, don't we, about whether to trust God's promise. And when God says he's a holy God, And that he judges our sinful human hearts and actions. And and we as people look around at each other and say, we're not really that bad. We need to make a decision again, don't we? Whether to believe his assessment or our own. And when God says, Jesus is Lord. And that our response to him will decide God's response to us. And so many around us couldn't care less. We need to make a decision, don't we, of how we will respond to him. I don't know if you've ever had to employ someone or interview people. There's a a method called targeted selection. Uh, What it says you do is, is when you get someone in for an interview, for a role, you don't just ask them uh, what would they do in a particular situation, this situation or another, because Frankly, anyone can tell you what they think they you want them to uh, say to you that you want to hear. No, instead, it suggests ask them what have you done in this particular situation or circumstance, and and what's the what's the basis of that? It's that past behaviour is the best indicator of future behaviour. And as we read Zechariah today and this term, when it comes to promises and whether we can depend on the Lord to keep his, remember his past behaviour is the best indicator of his future behaviour. Now, do you remember when God sent Zechariah to his people? Uh, It was in the time of the Persian Empire, which gobbled up the Babylonian Empire Uh, At this point, Darius was ruler on the throne and all that was left of God's people Israel, of the 12 tribes of Israel, was the tribe of Judah. Recently returned to Palestine. Recently returned to Jerusalem. In God's great plan to save people, uh, we are here on this picture. This is the picture I brought up last week. I don't expect you to read the detailed writing, but it is in your uh, growth group booklets. And we are here in the second to last chapter of God's plan. All we await is the Lord Jesus' return. Zechariah was raised up to bring God's word to his people here. Two eras before, in what had been perhaps the darkest time for them, they had ignored God's word. And receive the judgment he'd promised. Overrun by Babylon, they'd been taken into exile. They'd been taken away from the land that was so precious and special to them that God had given them. And in their misery, they could well have wondered, was this it? Is this the end? But God had given them another promise. A promise that he would bring them back 70 years later, that their judgment would have a use-by date. That he would save them, that he'd return them to the land, that he'd bring them back to the city of Jerusalem. And what you notice is a cycle uh, that the people go around and around again, where God makes his promise But things look too bleak for the people and they're wondering if he's going to keep the promise and he has to remind them of his promise and then call on them to return to trusting him. So we heard the same in the introduction to Zechariah 1 verse 3 last week, like a summary of the whole book. Uh, We read, therefore tell the people this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Not a new promise, but reminding them of an old promise, a promise to reverse their situation and install them as his privileged people. That he will do that, and how he will do that, That is the reminder that we are given that we heard read in the eight visions given to Zechariah from 1 verse 7 to 6 verse 8. I think we'll get that fan turned off if that's alright. As we were walking, uh, uh, talking about this book of Zechariah last week, uh, you might remember I mentioned the shape of it. It's divided into two halves, Uh, the first chapters 1 to 8, the second 9 to 14. Uh, Chapters 1 to 8 have the introduction that we focused in on last week and 7 and 8 at the end after the third and last. It's it's like a heading that occurs three times, uh, that bit that talks about in the year of Darius. Uh, Our focus today is the section in between, 1 verse 7 to 6 verse 8, which has the second in the year of Darius heading and begins in chapter 1 verse 8. During the night, I had a vision. Uh, This experience which Zechariah had, it's not just a dream of his own making. It's something that God placed in his mind's eye, where Zechariah even interacts with what he sees. There are eight parts or eight. commonly referred to as eight visions because it starts off with I had a vision and then I looked and then I looked and then I looked. Let me let me give you the quick overview. One verse eight, I had a vision of horses. One verse 18, then I looked up and there before me were four horns and four craftsmen. Chapter two verse one, then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hands. Chapter three verse one, and this is why it's good to have your Bibles open as well because you can you can see with me where it occurs in your Bible. Uh, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. 4 verse 1, then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up uh, uh, and he sees a lampstand. 5 verse 1, that we heard read, I looked again and there before me was a flying scroll. 5 verse 5, then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, look up and see what is happening. There's a basket. And six verse one, the last one, I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out. Now these visions are linked in two ways. Uh, the first three in our first reading of God's returning, of God returning to his people. The last three, we read the first two of the, the three of them in our second reading of sin being taken away from God's people. And the middle two, uh, which we'll catch up on next week. You see how we encourage you to come back week after week. Uh, The way it's put together, there's another thing going on here, which is that, that there's these, it's like sort of concentric circles where There are similarities between the 1st and the 8th and the 2nd and the 7th and the 3rd and the 6th which sort of focus our attention in on something important is going to be said in the 4th and the 5th in chapters 3 and 4. These middle two visions are clearly given significant importance. Not to say that these others aren't but like I said we'll leave those two till next week. Now remember again What Zechariah is doing here, he was sent to encourage the disheartened. Those who had returned from exile, the people of God's great promises who were wondering if God was good for his promises. So let's look first uh, at the first three, at God and his people returning. In the words of the first three visions, even though some of, these, uh, some of the bits along the way can leave you wondering, uh, this is a pretty good set of visions as far as visions in the Bible go because every one of them is given an interpretation uh, in the same place. Uh, Zechariah sees something, uh, then he hears the angel uh, that the Lord has provided. He hears from the angel an explanation. In the first vision, it's, it's man and horses. Now, normally in the Bible, this is a picture of judgment. This time, though, uh, they've been on a mission of reconnaissance. Okay, They come back with this message in verse 11. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace." Now you might think peace is a good thing. We normally think of peace as a good thing and we're only six weeks out from Christmas or something terribly close like that. Uh, But it's not good at this point compared with God's promises. He had promised his people peace, but judgment for the nations and the nations were experiencing the peace, not the judgment. During this time of exile, things had been turned the other way around. And so the angel calls out on behalf of God's people How long, O Lord? How long till it will be restored? And we hear the nations will have their peace turned to judgment, and Jerusalem her judgment to comfort and peace. Reading from verse 14. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, and I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy and there my house will be rebuilt and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. It's Zechariah's job to pass on this message, to proclaim this message to God's people that they might be reminded and persevere. Now, before we go into the second message, a quick aside here. I wonder if you've noticed there's this pattern uh, starting to to be noticeable in Zechariah, uh, where uh, God is given uh, a name which consists of two words. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? You could actually shout it out at this point. The Lord Almighty. Yes. Sorry, that's three words if you include the. So I'm sorry that I threw you off there. Uh, but this this Name appears again and again. And Lord, uh, as it's written, capitalised in our NIV translations, uh, is, is actually the covenant name of God, the name of the promises God had given to his people. And so every time you see the word Lord in Zechariah, I think the God of promises to his people. But the second part, Almighty, I mean, we get the sense of Almighty. Uh, But it actually has this sense behind it. Anyone remember what the old translation was, for those of you who've been around a bit longer? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of power and strength. That title occurs over 50 times uh, in Zechariah. Over 50 times. Keep your eye out for it as that is the backdrop of everything that is said here. The second vision uh, is of four horns. Four horns representing the power of the nations who had overrun God's people. They themselves will be overcome by four craftsmen. Uh, Be overcome by the Lord. The third vision is of a man with a measuring line. Uh, He's there to measure Jerusalem. But do you notice what the Lord says from verse 4? The angel of the Lord said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. And so Jerusalem that had been wiped out, will be prosperous again. Overflowing with people and abundance. No walls because everyone and everything is just spilling over, but safe because the Lord himself is its protective wall. It's an extraordinary picture. It's one where we see Jerusalem, where... uh, the scale of what's being promised here is actually becoming greater than the physical city as a certain, you know, the city at a certain location in a certain part of the world. The promise is so great it represents more than that and none other than the dwelling place of God among his chosen people. And so with the promise that this will happen as promised, the exiles who hadn't returned... I'm not sure if I've mentioned uh, these already. Plenty had stayed in Babylon, settled and comfortable there when the the first uh, Jews had come back to Jerusalem. And, And when you think about it, and they've been settled there for 70 years, generations have grown up there, it would actually take effort and a great step of trust to return to Jerusalem, which has been all but wiped out after all that happened. But in verses 6 to 9, the Lord Almighty calls them to return. He calls them, as with all his promises, to depend on his promise and to experience his goodness. Reading from 2 verse 6, Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you Uh, To the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Uh, The land of the north is probably Babylon. If you look at a map, you go, "Eh, that doesn't look that north. You couldn't travel directly east, so you go north and you know what I'm saying. Uh, Come, Zion, escape you who live in daughter Babylon, for this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the Glorious One has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye, I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. The Lord will bring a great reversal. Judging those who overcame his people, saving his people from their judgment, returning and restoring them to himself. But there's at least one more uh, extraordinary thing in this news. Many nations will be counted among the Lord's people. So his goodness is good for all who are happy to repent and return to him. In fact, this was always God's plan. Reading from chapter 2, verse 10, Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations, here it is, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Now, as I mentioned before, Ephesians 1 to 3 have the Lord and his people returning to Jerusalem. Visions 6 to 8 have the very sin that caused them to be separated and scattered. That sin is seen departing. I'm going to go uh, more quickly through these three. Vision six, chapters five, one verses one to four, the flying scroll. Uh, it's an instrument of judgment uh, wielded by God, sifting and banishing sinners from uh, the land, uh, from God's presence. Then in the next vision, vision seven, a basket is seen, a basket that represents the sin of God's people. Uh, While they've returned to God's presence, their sin is spirited away, removed from the people and God's presence, taken to the land of Babylon. And what we see here is this theme throughout God's word uh, uh, taking shape in Zechariah. It's a, any Dickens fans out there? A tale of two cities, okay? He didn't think of it was in the Bible beforehand. Uh, the ta- this tale of two cities is Jerusalem as the gathering place of God and his people. The other Babylon to which the enemies of God reside and fall under the judgment of God. The final vision. Chapter 6, verse 1 to 8, it's a picture of chariots and horses, of weapons of war, again going to the four corners of the earth, upholding the Lord's authority and order and defeating his enemies. What did these three visions tell us? Again, they're an encouragement that the Lord will uh, keep his promises that he will even dwell with his people despite the sin that had so often come between them and him. So what are we meant to make of all this? Uh, What are we meant to make uh, living as we do with the Lord Jesus between Zechariah and us? Like I said last week, there are so many ways in which Jesus brings change between the Old and the New Covenant, the Old, you know, the old uh, Testament and the New, uh, where Jesus himself is God among us. And he has dealt with our sin. So what do these chapters offer you and I as we live as disciples of him? Well, for today, let me uh, share four things with you. The first, uh, these are words of confidence and hope. Did you notice uh, in chapter 1, verse 14, that the Lord is jealous for his people? In 2, verse 8, uh, we are the apple of his eye, precious to him. And remember too, uh, because if you've ever experienced uh, the unpleasant sort of jealousy, the Lord's not jealous in the way we can be of being possessive and self-centred. Rather, he's wholly committed to us and our well-being. When we trust in the Lord Jesus, the Lord to whom these promises pointed, uh, we are God's treasured possession Dearly loved, privileged objects of his devotion. But it's not just about being objects, it's about relationship. Us with him and he with us. We know him through his words and actions, through his track record, holy in his entirety, faithful to his promises. Merciful beyond compare. And so we take heart. As Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the face of conflict and the enemies of God and things not seeming like we'd expect them to be, we pray, your kingdom come. And we are confident that through Jesus, he is answering that prayer. We have hope. Second, these are words that demand we take sin and judgment seriously. Every time we read the Bible, it confronts our view of the world and seeks to shape it. We've all got a, a way of viewing the world and, and uh, there are similarities and differences and quite a spectrum. Uh, But the Bible comes preloaded with an alternative and God's view of the world. Uh, An alternative from that which says, look, we're all basically good, but if we work hard enough, we'll fix what's wrong with the world and with us. The Bible's view of the world is that our sin is real. God's people Israel weren't out on a limb when it came to their history, their history of sin and judgment. It's actually held up as a mirror to us, uh, a mirror in which we ought to see ourselves and our great need before God. And so, too, as that happens, we see our God, the holy God. Who, when he says he will judge, does judge, just as in the days of the prophets, the defeat and exile of the Jews make all too clear. You know, sometimes people suggest there's a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the New, uh, with the God of the Old as the God of uh, anger and judgment, and the God of the New as the God of love and mercy. But read the Bible. Listen to it carefully and that's not the case at all. He is the same Lord who promises both judgment for all who do not return to him and salvation for all who do. We can't leave out of the picture that God is the God of judgment, that he defeats his enemies, those who are opposed to him, because to do so would be to leave out him defeating sin. And those who do not know him, if we ignore judgment, we lose the motivation, don't we, to recognise that without Jesus being proclaimed and believed in, they will not be saved. Nor will we. God is faithful to his promises and reminds us of his promises both to save and to judge. As sobering as that is, alongside that is this third thing, this message we read here again in Zechariah, that the Lord's plan includes gathering people from many nations. Uh, We here today are living proof of that. I'm not aware of anyone having a Jewish roots going back uh, who are here today, but the Lord tells us in Hebrews 12 that we we are already part of the heavenly gathering of God's people and that our gathering here now, our churching together, is a tangible expression of what is already true and will be seen by all in days to come. And so as others did for us, Uh, So we pray for the nations and we give to the gospel being proclaimed to the nations and we send people from among us, whether to South Africa or to other parts of Sydney. Because true to his promises, the Lord is gathering to Jerusalem, to his heavenly city, all those who would return to him. Finally, we need to remember uh, that this, wider than this room, this place, is not our home. We are just passing through, travellers on a journey, being gathered by God to the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, at the end of the day, the Jerusalem that's being talked about here uh, is not, you know, 14 hours' flight. Uh, away uh, in the Middle East but the New Testament writers make it clear whether it's the writer to Hebrew speaking of Abraham looking forward to it or revelation picturing the day of the new creation the Jerusalem Zechariah spoke of here that is our home the Jerusalem to come the city of God Where we will live with him and see him face to face and live in the light of his glory. Now, growing up and in my life, I've moved around uh, a number of places, uh, some of them across Sydney and some of them across the country. Uh, I think I've lived in about nine different places and for much of my life I I had this feeling like I couldn't point to any place that I go, well, that's my home. But I'm now starting to realise that maybe I'm better off that way. That that's how God wants all of us to see ourselves in this life. Uh, Peter the Apostle on a number of uh, he picks up on a number of the great themes that we've heard in Zechariah today in his first letter. I'm not going to uh, read them out, but you could read 1 Peter chapters 1 and 2 uh, for a start to see them yourself. Uh, what he does there is that he speaks likewise of the holiness of God, that he can't dwell with sin, that he has defeated it. And it's because of the preciousness of his people. And he also speaks of the reality that we are foreigners travelling on a journey just passing through. It's a tale of two cities. We need to not fall in step again with Babylon where we live today, but walk in this life As the people of the city of God. By the power of God at work in us. Remembering the promises of God like we are today. Remembering the relationship we have with God. And looking forward with hope. To the final fulfilment of all the promises of God. Let's pray that he would do that work in us. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your extraordinary kindness in bringing we who were your enemies to be your precious people through the work of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your promises that have now been fulfilled in him and even the promises of what ultimately is to come when he returns or we die to be with him. We pray, Heavenly Father, help us, help us to rely on you as the one who has shown yourself consistently faithful, extraordinarily merciful, always kind. And help us, we pray, to live in this life as people looking forward to and journeying toward the life to come. Amen.